Welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today's guest is Cliff Chadwick. Cliff has close to 40 years experience in the equipment rental industry and is the owner of Chadwick Forklifts. Now, Cliff caught my attention because Chadwick Forklifts was actually awarded the 2021 HRIA Rental Company of the Year Award under $5 million. So I thought it'd be great to learn about Cliff's history in the equipment rental industry and also learn a little bit more about Chadwick Forklifts. Cliff, thank you for joining me today. To kick things off, can you talk to me about how you first got involved in the equipment rental industry? Sure. So basically, back in the day, it was HSC. I completed that in uh, high school in Victoria, and I really had no idea what I wanted to do in life. I, um, I'd done like the commerce sort of subjects, like economics and legal studies and whatever. I was never a tradie, that side of things. Um, basically, went up the local CES as it was back in those days, and there was cards with jobs on it on the wall and I walked around and I think I took four off one was sort of an accounting sort of role with a bus company doing the separating like the Mikey sort of setup another was a telemarketing for a fertilizer mob third one was a job with a company called Linmac which was advertised as a 22 year old and over minimum two years sales experience uh, renting out equipment and I thought that sounds like me so I took the card up to the lady and she said how old are you I said 18 she said have you got any sales experience I said no she said can you read <laughs> I said don't worry I can do this give the bloke a call so the man she called was a guy called Ken Matthews who's been a bit of a legend in the HRIA and the more in the access side but through his company which is now manless but he was the state man, sales manager for this company called Linmac at the time, which were the very first distributors of JLG, uh, access equipment. So I got the job with him. It was really a baptism of fire. It was when Luoyang Power Station was being built and they were really pushing hard to get gear up there. So I'd go up there for three or four days a week, basically crawling around Luoyang Power Station, knocking on doors. I think a lot of it back in those early, early days was, yeah, we're trying to get a demo for a scissor because most of them were still using scaffold. Did that for a couple of years, and then uh, I actually had a, an accident, and I, I was off work for a couple of months. And whilst I was off, Ken and his partner Peter uh, Peter Armstrong started Manlift, and the owners of Linmac weren't sure if I was in cahoots with them or not, so they sent me off to Queensland, and I loved it because I had a few mates playing footy up there, and I surfed, and it was a I went up in April, I think, till September. Then all, with the footy season finished, and all my mates came back. It wasn't so much fun, so. I came back with Lynn Mac and they had me as a 20-year-old going door-to-door selling tractor cranes, which was basically impossible and not much fun. So my brother's best friend's dad was a manager at Crown. I said to him one day, if your dad's ever looking for a salesman, get him to call me. So next day he did. So then I went to Crown. I was there for 20 years, so always in the rentals department. So I started off as a rep and ended up the manager which it crowns the equivalent to 2IC. Um, and then in 2003, I uh, went through a divorce and my kids were only four and six and really I needed to sort of increase my income to offset the child maintenance and all the rest of it. And the only option within Crown was to go to Sydney, but I couldn't because my kids were going to be here. So I decided to roll the dice and uh, start Chadwick Forklifts. So then the day that you decided that you wanted to start your own business, can you talk me through what that 
was like? Was it you going, oh, I'm going to go find my own focus? Like, what was the actual process? So it actually, I was on holidays at Noosa and I was talking to a, a friend. He asked me how I was going and I said, oh, yeah, I'm all right. And then he, he asked again. And then I said, well, I'm actually in a bit of a pickle because I've, you know, as I explained, I'd gone through the divorce and I had two young kids and I was sort of trapped. And he said, uh, well, why don't you start your own business? And I said, well, that takes a hell of a lot of money. I haven't got that sort of money behind me to start my own business. And he said, well, I have. Come to me with a plan. So I drew up a plan and then he and two others put up some capital at the start and away we went. But back in the early days, it wasn't a rental business. It was, um, I was bought and sold secondhand, which was a big shift to be having been doing all the big deals at Crown, you know, hundreds of forklifts, you know, new forklifts, you know, predominantly battery electric forklifts, to all of a sudden they had a used secondhand forklift dealer selling every brand of forklift and more often than not LPG. So it was a, a complete, even though it was still forklifts and materials handling, it was a big shift from renting new electric forklifts to buying and selling secondhand. And a lot of it was pretty ordinary back then, rubbish. The cheaper end of the market might be a nicer way to put it. Yeah, but it was your entry point into the market, yeah? That was your that was how you got in. And, and so how did you grow from there? Well, so basically from the start, um, I ran it from home. I didn't have a yard. and I, I went out and started buying a few forks. Obviously, when at Crown, I dealt with a lot of other used forklift dealers because you have trade-ins on, the, on, the, on a new rental forklift. So I'd have to work with them to unload the trades now, all of a sudden I was on the other side of the fence I was trying to acquire those trades but again I had a lot of relationships with a lot of people so you know the stock started to flow but as I said from day one all I had was a computer and a car and a briefcase I didn't even have a briefcase nothing so and I used to have to bot space you know if I bought one you know I'd put it at Ken Matthews place or another mate Paul White from Two Bay Forks we'd leave leave gear there and did that for 12 months for you sort of wear your welcome out after a little while doing that. So I got my own premises in Moorabbin after 12 months. We stayed there for 12 years, uh, outgrew that, and then moved to Brayside where we are now five years ago. Um, I opened a second branch out in Sunshine two and a half years ago. Other than the original financing that you got, what do you think is or was the biggest challenge in growing that business? Uh, getting stock always from then until now it's um getting like obviously if you buy new stuff it's not so much of a problem which now we basically 95 percent of what we buy is new but back in the early days especially buying and selling getting secondhand stock and good stock is is the biggest challenge you know there's an old saying you make your money buying and it's never been truer than in those early days have you seen the lead times change a lot over those 20 years as well? It wasn't too bad up until the last two years with coronavirus because you know, all of a sudden no one bought anything in 2020 and all of a sudden in 2021 everyone was trying to grow again and there was a big lag and there is now. We basically, just before you know, the first couple of months of this year, we basically went around all the yards, all the forklift deals and whatever was available, we bought it because we just everyone had run out of stock. Mm. So... You know, we just took delivery of quite a bit of new gear this year. And then, so talk me through your first few hires. Like what you said, you went from working from home to getting your first location. Who was your first hire and, and how did you grow that, that business then? So I have a, 
so back when I started, I had a deal sheet each month. So I still got it all. So on those deals back back in those days, obviously I was doing very few sales each month. So I just I'd list help any revenue. So yeah, I've got it got it all recorded. Wow. Back to right. day dot. Wow, that's that must I, I feel like if you're gonna read this out now, it's probably gonna trigger some old memories from those mm -hmm. days as well. Yeah. So, so who was the first customer then? So the first customer I rented to was a, a business called Keep It Simple Storage, which was a, a second-hand division for the Dexian business, which is still going. Kenny Ward and Andrew Cater, uh, they're the City Port Dexian. But back then they had a, a used division and they bought a bit of some of the first units I sold and they needed a rental truck for their reach truck. So we had a couple of Crown stand-up reach trucks. They were the first ones. Wow. And so how did it evolve? Like you mentioned you had used sales and then obviously the higher side of things. Did you slowly become like 80% higher, 20% sales? Was it 50-50? How did that evolve over the years? So for the first eight years, it was, you know, for the first six years, it would have been 95% sales. And then I bought a few new trucks. And I had a few secondhand ones that I sort of had as designated rental units. And then I bought some new ones, um, only a handful. So I might've had 10. And then my wife, Melissa, worked with me at Crown, but she'd had enough of that. I needed a salesman actually at the time. She, she joined me as a salesman. We weren't planning on focusing on rentals. She, she was basically just gonna, I had a salesman, he left and she wanted to leave Crown. So she joined me and after a very short space of time, we thought, well, this is crazy. What we're both very best at is rentals. So we basically flipped the business on its ear from then and there we focused. So instead of selling, you know, getting good secondhand trucks and selling them, we were getting good secondhand trucks and renting them, plus progressively buying more and more new ones. And as it rolled on, we just kept adding and adding and adding. I think the, the first unit was CFL 101. And now, which we add numerically, and we're now up to 550. So it's been a lot of, and yeah, basically it's all new now. So, and I don't sell it all. We do retail service of our forks and other people's customers, end user forklifts, but basically all we do is rent. And then, so you said that you started focusing on the rental side. So then how did the business develop from there? Like, was it, you started growing a rental sales team and then you had your operations team and then your service team, like how did it grow? So basically when Melissa joined me, she mentioned the HRIA, which I didn't even know existed. And that, that I, so I checked it out and it turned out the conference was on almost immediately on the Gold Coast. So we agreed that she'd go up there and um, have a look and cut her teeth and see what she could unearth. And that was really the birth of it because you know she made some good contacts there. She might have embellished a little bit how big our business was and how many higher forks we had. Yeah, we sort of got a, a foothold after that. Um, we started to sub-hire a, a bit to cover the new inquiries that we were receiving and then gradually bought our own to replace the sub-hires and that snowballed from there. But really that first trip she made to the Gold Coast 10 years ago was the, the real turning point. Wow. How many years, was it 10 years ago, you said? 10, yeah. 10 years ago. And then, so this year at the HRA show, you were awarded Rental Company of the Year under $5 million, which is 
an amazing achievement. So like Thank talk you. me through how that sort of felt. Well, we were completely shocked. You know, it was, a, it was, we knew we'd put in a good submission. So the process is you, you nominate, you put in a submission, then they shortlist it and then conduct interviews basically of the finalists. And, you know, we'd put a lot of prep in it and, it, and it, confident that it had been well received by the judges, but you don't know what anyone else is doing. We haven't got, didn't have a clue, but yeah, we, we knew we'd put a pretty good foot forward. But when he said Chadwick Faultless, I nearly fell off my chair, which I sort of said in my speech at the time, because we, you know, we were hopeful that to um, take it out was amazing. Uh, and the, you know, the response from the people in the room and then afterwards and for the next days and weeks, you know, posts on LinkedIn that were getting likes. I think Melissa got something like 15,000 views on her on her post she put up. So she said I, she didn't know she had that many friends. But, um, you know, and different people put up a few different things and they all, you know, it was amazing, the response. The number of phone calls we've had and people that, you know, I had a customer from my Crown days that I haven't spoken to for 20 years, he called me up to congratulate me. A guy called Don Stewart from Uncle Toby. So there's a lot of, it reached far and wide and it still is, you know, it's, Every, every, I don't think a day has gone past since where I haven't bumped into someone that said, well done on the award. That's amazing. So it's, um, yeah, it's pretty amazing. So maybe just for the listeners, do you want to talk through what the preparation process is to actually get listed as a potential rental company of the year? It's really an assessment of your processes. So um, your training, your employment, your employment, Procedures, all your OHS, your HR, your IT, those systems are what make or break it. I suppose it's a it's the ability to provide a service and to replicate it and maybe to change staff and it still be replicated without that knowledge going with the staff and not having the system in place that the next person can pick it up. I think that's probably, you know, obviously you've got to have good staff, good equipment, decent premises, quality service vehicles it's all encompassing really and I, I think I mentioned in my speech that there were two two big turning points in the business one was Melissa joining me the second was Shane Mathias our general manager who joined just on three years ago he bought a skill set that we didn't have you know IT OHS HR and just a general I suppose calmness and business acumen that smoothed all the bumps out a lot of the bumps you know the and, it, and it, the chaos seemed to go out of the place. The other, the other important thing is a, a good software system. We use Hypos, and that you know, going from we only went to that three a bit, a bit years ago from jumping from spreadsheets, which seemed like they could never be replaced, to a a, a proper um, hire system was a big turning point. And again, obviously, I think that the judges need to see that's that's a key point of your systems. Talk to me about Shane then. How did you find Shane? How did he come into the business? Well, the funny part was it was again, I probably made five big decisions in this business. One was to go rentals and then and then invest the money, buy a truck and get, get our own transport, open up Sunshine, which was a big push, um, employer service manager, and then a general manager. And I've got to admit, they were all Melissa's ideas that I got dragged along with kicking and screaming. So <laughs> I can't take credit for them, but I did agree with them in the end. So basically, Melissa said we need a GM. So you now I thought, what's wrong with me? 
because that was basically what I was doing. But once we we started advertising, and I had someone apply, and I thought, oh, this guy's perfect. He's so I rang up a a friend who's one of, one of my investors, Paul Williams, and I said to him. I've got uh, this guy in mind. He said, tell me about him. I said, I've oh, been in forks 30 years. He knows everyone in the industry, knows all about forklifts. You know, he's a he's an industry veteran. He's a, and the guy just said, you just described yourself. We don't need another one of you. You, know, you need someone with all the skills you don't have. You know, you need IT, HR. I thought, geez, that wasn't good advice. So uh, we ended up, just got Shane through Seek. He applied. He knew nothing about forklifts. He from the metal industry, but um, yeah, clever guy. He's uh, uh, university educated in chemical engineering, IT, and marketing. So he's uh, done three degrees, all with distinctions. So he's a pretty switched on bloke. Then yeah, he just bought all the skills that you know we weren't going badly, but uh, as again I said on my speech, it was he's the polish that really brought us up to a. A much better functioning company, that's for sure. It's amazing. So talk me through the transition then, because obviously you mentioned at the start of that, hey, I'm the GM, what's wrong with me? So how did you transition Shane into the business then? Well, basically, he took over all the HR side of it. He developed the IT systems and and ran with those. And I basically sat back and focused on buying and selling or buying forklifts, um, doing the, the admin side, uh, payroll, all purchases and and not so much the invoicing. Melissa basically looks after all the sales and I was more the, the technical, you know, there's, every day there's something that comes up about a forklift that, you know, because I've been doing it for so long, I just know you know whether it's a, what aisle with the machine will work in or what, what a forklift derates to at a certain lift height or different load centers. There's, you know, there's a lot of technical stuff that allowed me to sit back and focus on that. Yeah. I, Cause I can imagine it being like a, it, it's almost a discussion you need to have with yourself around acknowledging the only way to step forward is to let go of the reins a little bit. Yeah, and then, and then once you do that, then it opens up more opportunities uh, within the business. So is that something that you did battle with for a little bit or is it, how did that work no, out? not at all. Once I realised how good Shane was at what he did and it was it was an area of the business that existed here, but it didn't, it wasn't run well. It was all haphazard and by accident, all of a sudden to be controlled, measured, managed, documented. Uh, it was a big shift and it, yeah, it was um, a breath of fresh air. That's awesome. It's probably some really good advice for other businesses out there that are in a similar position where they're, they're trying to expand out. Maybe they're trying to grow. Maybe they're trying to take on a new market, whatever it might be. Trying to always do it by yourself isn't always the answer. That You need to look outside sometimes. No. And also, you know, it just gives you the time to um, manage the business rather than run the business. You know, look at more detail into, you know, the costs of certain items or the or areas of the business rather than just getting in here and going like a banshee from six o'clock till six o'clock. It was more, gives more time to um, dig into things a bit better and do things. Everything's just done better. It's just run better. Yeah. I like to describe it as getting off the treadmill. You're always on the treadmill, just doing your job, doing your job, and you don't actually have time to to think about what you're doing in terms of the business. Exactly. 
That's awesome. So, so what advice maybe would you give to somebody that's thinking about starting their own hire business? Well, I think you've got to identify your space in the market because there's the space occupied by the OEMs that are hiring hundreds of new forklifts to Coles Mile. You're not, you're not going to just come into the rental industry and get a foothold there. So you need to crawl before you walk. The first thing you have to do is get stock and decide whether that's going to be used, new, or a combination of both, which I suppose anyone starting off would be a mixture, unless you've got a hell of a lot of money and you're just going to start off with a whole new fleet. But you know, there's not too many going to do that from day dot. Um, you know, I know there are quite a few people that have started their own companies in the last little bit, and most start off by sub-hiring a machine here and there and buying one secondhand, and then they buy a new one, basically the same as I did. So it's just a, unless you've got a heap of dough that you've got investors that are going to allow you to buy a fleet, um, you really, it's a matter of finding your space in the market. And then I assume when you find that space, it's about providing that extra level of service above and beyond to, to control that, that niche, if you want to call it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And some of it's price driven, some of it's quality driven, you know, there's a, to be able to supply onto the, the modern building side is a, a hell of a lot different now than what it was you know, 10 years ago. Back in the old days, you could just hire something out. Now it's got to have a service history, a logbook, risk assessment, and 20 other things you have to comply with, you know, especially if you're going onto the, the big jobs like the tunnel projects or level crossing removals. Yeah, just things like wheel nut indicators and reflective tape and all this has just it's all come from nowhere in the last few years. And it's mm. um and they're, they're if they if they're not 100%, well, they don't go on. Yeah, I've heard some horror stories about that where people have spent a bucket load of money building up a forklift to get it to the job site and then it sit out the front for a, a few weeks until they can actually get the relevant documentation, all the specs, mm. to what they need so it can't go on, on site. And it's just zero revenue and yeah. mainly because of a mistake or an oversight or whatever it might be in that planning so planning phase yep no it's um that certainly changed a hell of a lot in that regard so you mentioned ken matthews as someone that was quite influential in you in your, your reasons for coming into the hire industry but i'll ask it again so like who do you think was a, a big influence from a mentor perspective well, it's going to sound corny, but Melissa's had as much to do with it as anybody because um, she's very good at what she does. So, again, as I said, she's uh, very driven most of the big decisions. So she'd have to be number one. Um, apart from Ken, I had a couple of guys in my early days at Crown, a gentleman called Jeff Karen who's passed away. He was my boss for 10-odd years there. Um, good level-headed guy. And, a, and a, the guy that took over from me when I left Crown was a guy called Darren Maloney, but we worked very close together before and after me leaving there. And unfortunately, he passed away recently too. The state manager at Crown for those 20 years was a guy called Ivan Meehan, who was a you know, great friend of mine. Seems to be a common theme here. He passed too. Three, <laughs> there was three guys that didn't pass that are still... Well, actually, no one of them has. Um, so the three guys that put him at the start of the business, obviously, without their input, we wouldn't have got past day one. One of them is my accountant. So he's obviously had a hell of a lot to do with the financial stewardship over the years from absolutely day one, Gary Holt. Uh, 
and Paul Williams and Grant McGregor were the other two that put in. Um, so those three guys have had a lot to do with it. One of the big things, especially you know, not so much the last five years, last 10 years, ever since I started buying new gear, is to have a good finance option. There's a gentleman called David Gandolfo from Quantum Business Finance has looked after every truck I've ever purchased right up until now. So he's um, managed to find a way for us. We, uh, yeah, David certainly um, helped a lot. He's made the, the acquisition of the new year, which, and the deals have got bigger and bigger and bigger as we've got, as we've got bigger. Um, he's always found the founder, someone willing to stump up the money for the gear. So he's been very important. And in the early days, you know, a couple of the, the forklift dealers that helped me um, when I was, you know, didn't have any any source of equipment or, or avenue to supply it was um, Paul White from Two Bays. He, uh, we did a lot of deals together. I'd say if we'd get a trade in a fleet of 20 or 30 machines in the early days, I didn't have the cash to stump up and buy them. So you know, he'd, he'd put the money up and we'd, we'd both sell them. Um, yeah, so they're probably the main ones. And so just touching on the dealer side a little bit, so is there a particular brand that you focus on? Or I noticed you've got quite a lot of brands that you, you provide. Like, is there one that you found, you found has really helped you grow your business a lot? Or like, what's your diversification? Um, so we sort of specialize, but we've got a lot of rough terrain gear and we stick with Manitou. So we've got what they call a Manitou buggy and a fleet of smaller tele handlers. So in that market, we stick purely with Manitou. Um, with the general forklifts on the electrics, they're generally Crown or Toyota. In the LPGs, we stick with Toyota, Heister, and Unicarrier. We actually just purchased a couple of TCMs. Um, so we don't, we don't, we're not tied to any brand. We basically look for the best deal, or in more recent times, whatever was available. But in the rough terrain, we stick to Manitou, and uh, the rest is bit of a mixture but stick to those main brands and so if you could give some advice to your younger self what would you say don't be afraid to take a risk uh, back yourself and get into property early because without some capital behind you it's very difficult to get finance um so yeah get get some substance behind you as early as you can because that'll set you up for the future and so this is i like to ask everyone this question so how do you define success i think respect if you've got respect i think you obviously earned that by giving respect more often than not and doing the right thing more often than not so i think respect's the probably the biggest key to success um one of the most important aspects of this business and the success of the business has been the quality of the staff now I've got a great team. Obviously, I've mentioned a lot about Shane and Melissa, but I've got an excellent service manager, Dale, two good operations guys in Liam and Hassan, Sunshine branch manager, Steve, workshop manager, Vic, and a great truck driver in Kerry. Then we've got six really excellent road guys and some good workshop guys. So in total, the team's 16 now, but every one of them plays their role and... I'm so lucky to have such a, a enthusiastic, skilled bunch of people 
they really are the backbone of the business and the, you know, the, we don't I wouldn't say we don't have any hiccups with them every business does and but all in all i couldn't be prouder of the the group we've got working for us that pushed this thing along they're fantastic all right well cliff i really want to thank you for coming on the rental journal podcast thank you very much this podcast episode was proudly supported by our premier partner, Kenna Tire.